Hey everyone, before we get into our top 15 Beatles songs of all time, I just want to take a moment to let you know that we have our top 50 Beatles songs list on Spotify. If you search for Listen In Podcast, you can find our whole collection of playlists. On top of that, we have our best album openers of all time, our best album closers of all time, best rock songs of the 2000s, and our Beatles playlist. Uh, also, you can follow us on Twitter at ListenInPod, and you can let us know where we went wrong with our list. Um, that's it. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the Beatles Top 50 Songs of All Time Countdown, presented by the Listen In Podcast. We are on to part two of this, which we are doing the top 15. We're doing... 15 to number one you can check out our first part which chronicles number 50 all the way to number 16 uh but this is the real uh this is real, where the rubber meets the road so to speak Jake. where the rubber soul meets the road and here's the thing That's right uh i haven't clocked that episode we just did of numbers 50 to 16 it could be four hours long it's so long know. it's not four hours we haven't been up here for four hours but it's like Maybe above an hour and a half. So maybe only the biggest Beatles fans will listen. So if you're here listening to this episode and you're a big Beatles fan, uh, maybe for context, go check out that list. Mm -hmm. Go check out that episode. Figure out why Hey Jude isn't in our top 15. Spoiler alert. Or tell you what. If you listen, say this is your first experience with the Listen In Pod. First of all, welcome. Here's a pamphlet. Second of all... um, if you like what you hear here, if you like these top 15, if you like our discussion, check out the longer episode and yeah. check out some of our uh, other other episodes. That's right. That's right. Little little sales pitch there, Sean. I like it. Yeah. Get them hooked. And get them young. That's right. Like cigarettes. <laughs> Big Tobacco, listening podcast, working hand in hand. And Marlboro is our sponsor for today. <laughs> time for our number 15 Beatles song of all time, sponsored by Camel. Ah, that smooth hickory smoke. I don't know if hickory is a thing. I have no idea. <laughs> it just sounds right. And then, okay. <laughs> number 15 is an early Beatles classic, Ticket to Ride. That's right. Ticket to Ride coming in at 15. This is... Maybe the technically best song from Help. It's not personally my favorite from Help. I had this one ranked at number eight overall, actually, for favorite Beatles songs. Wow. Uh, really, really high. I love Ticket to Ride. Shows just how much you love Help. It really does. I am so high on Help. You are. And, and I can't blame you because I love that album. Ticket to Ride is um, maybe one of my favorite, if not my favorite, like early Beatles songs. Mm-hmm. Um, just I love the way it sounds, sort of the droning chords, Ringo's drums on it, the way John sings it. We, we were talking about this the other day. Not a compelling thing to say on a podcast. I keep saying it, though. Not great but, radio. But we were talking about it the other day. A little context for the listeners. We're friends. We're friends outside. Yeah, we uh, get along. We live together and like talk about this outside the podcast. We're yeah. not just monkeys who do this for your entertainment. <laughs> we're real people, everybody. Uh, we're people. That being said, if you like what you hear here, <laughs> check out the previous episode. No, but still, um, on Ticket to Ride, uh, John, his voice is very, it's an impassioned vocal performance on here. It is, yeah. I really, really like it. This is John starting to get, and we talked about this on the first half, starting to get a little grittier, you know, a little more emotional. You can start to see that split between him and Paul where 
you know, Paul has I've Just Seen a Face coming up, which happens to be my favorite song from Help. Um, and you have this. So I think you're really starting to see the distinction between the two of them starting to happen on Help, and this is a really good example of that. Interestingly, I've Just Seen a Face, the beginning of something, Ticket to Ride, the end of something. Yeah. Like a relationship. That's right. She's That's got right. a ticket to ride and she don't care, Sean. That's right. Um, I've we got, got a at ticket, 14. We've, I was going to say, I've got a ticket to ride on down to station 14, oh, where we have song number 14, uh, Day Tripper. Day Tripper. Uh, fond memory for, I think, both of us here. I'm going to give the listeners some context. So the first... Paint a picture with words. One of my first experiences hearing Day Tripper. I'm an eighth grader, okay? We're about to graduate. We had kind of a talent show... Um, what was it actually called? Was it a talent? Show. Was it called the eighth grade talent yeah, I show? Think it was called the talent okay, show. eighth grade talent show. Uh, you know, everyone could kind of play whatever they wanted to, do whatever they wanted to. Some people sang songs. Some people danced. D- d- exactly. So Jake and a couple of other people did a rendition of Day Tripper, yep. and it was really, really good. Jake was playing lead guitar on it. Nailed the solo, nailed the riff the whole time. It was really, really good. Did my best, and it was just it's a testament to the team we had out there. Um, you know, I don't want to take all the credit, uh, but that was a lot of fun, and it's actually probably no small part of why it's so high on my list. Um, also, it's just a great example of an early awesome guitar riff. That's um, right. And I know that later on in his life, John always took credit and always like loved that guitar riff and really liked that he wrote this early awesome uh, mm. sort of guitar riff. But yeah, I, I mean, this song's just, it's it's classic early catchy Beatles. They're starting to get a little heavier, it feels like. Yeah. More riff based. A little more suggestive in the lyrics, too. You yeah. know, Day yeah. Tripper, is this, is this like, they're talking about one night stands yep. and, and that sort of thing. She only played one night stands. That's right. Sean. Yeah, love Day Tripper. Um, and I like that it follows, like from just a blues, you know, song structure perspective, it, it does the... Um, one four five thing where it does the E as the first riff and then into A and then the solo they go to B which is the five of the thing. It just sort of I, I just like the way that is all structured and then they do that like harmony thing that they do in Twist and Shout where mm. they ah uh, that's right yeah and then it builds over that guitar solo very nice build up um, great great rock song really really good coming in at number thirteen Jake now I'm gonna let you intro this one because this is near and dear to your heart. The listeners, I'm sure, just heard me say "ooh" for a <laughs> this sus- guttural "ooh." It a was sustained a, amount of time. You probably just turned off the podcast because you were a little afraid. What's turned off? What of they probably turned off the podcast. Oh, oh, oh! The listeners. I thought yes. you meant I turned off the listeners. And well, you, you did. You yeah. did. Oh yeah, both. I probably did both. So no one's listening anymore. <laughs> so they're not going to know that my favorite all-time Beatles song and number thirteen on our list is. The third song on Revolver, I'm Only Sleeping. So um, I think if I were to try to explain why this is my favorite Beatles song, it's... So I find it interesting, first of all, Sean, that both of our favorite Beatles songs uh, are sort of, I would say, slightly deep cuts off Revolver. Yeah, they are. They're um, odd picks if you... if you th- So for context, for anyone who didn't listen to the first part of our yes. countdown, yep. my favorite Beatles song of all time is And Your Bird Can Sing, which came in about number 30 on our list. Uh, So yeah, Jake's number one, I'm Only Sleeping, coming in at number 13. I had this one at number um, 32 on my list. So, you know, both pretty high for us. Uh, Again, this is one that I don't think a lot of people know off the top of their head. I've always loved it. So this to me is just the epitome of what Revolver is about. Mm. I love 
the sort of druggy, sleepy, drowsy feeling, the way the, gu- the guitars and everything, the backwards um, taped uh, guitar solos, um, the interlude where it's just Paul's bass, and then you can kind of hear someone in the background say, yawn, Paul, and, someone, and he yawns into the microphone. The whole feel in this song is so perfect. They absolutely nail it. And I just have always loved the melody. I've loved everything about this song. It, it to me, signifies where they were at as a band at this time, which is my favorite era of the Beatles. And so it, and I just, I don't know, it has a special place in my heart. So it's my favorite song. It's it's more an emotional thing than a rational Definitely. thing. Definitely. I yep. would say. Totally, totally. Coming in at number 12 is Here Comes the Sun. An Abbey Road George Harrison song. That's right. So we have a couple George Harrison songs in our top 15 here, this being the first one. Um, and we can't, I don't want to spoil what No, the no, we're not going to. That's, that's coming a little bit later. But uh, Here Comes the Sun, one of my first introductions to this song. This is before I even knew who the Beatles were. This was in The Parent Trap. Starring Lindsay Lohan. Was it really? That is, yep, that is right. And Dennis Quaid. I'm <laughs> and Meg Ryan. Dennis Quaid, big friend of the pod. I never saw The Parent Trap. What? Uh, or I saw parts of it. We're going to stop recording. We're going to go watch that right now. The fencing scene where Lindsay Lohan is fencing with Lindsay Lohan is amazing. You know what that is, Sean? You know what that it's is? It's a little it, foreshadowing for her troubles with drugs and partying. Yeah, it fighting with herself. And you know what else that is, Sean? That's just movie magic. It's movie magic. That's movie magic for you. Movie magic. Um, industrial light and magic. <laughs> Lucasfilm. Um, so, <laughs> uh, uh, Here Comes the Sun is, I think, an example of how strong a songwriter George Harrison had become by the end of the Beatles' run. So this is on Abbey Road, the last album they ever recorded altogether. Um, let it be they released later but they actually recorded Abbey Road later and George at this point was just trying to I think spread his wings a little bit and fly mm. he was the baby bird in the band and he was never as he strong he just wanted as... to go eat some worms he did and you know for a lot of years John and Paul were regurgitating worms in the form of songs <laughs> down his throat this is the grossest <laughs> the metaphor wildest metaphor ever the grossest metaphor I've ever used to describe anything let alone one of my favorite songwriters of all time but uh, Here Comes the Sun's beautiful it's a beautiful melody and it was written uh, when things were kind of rocky in the Beatles George wrote it in I think Eric Clapton's garden I think he was hanging wow. out at one of his, his best friends Eric now, Clapton's was house was this before or after Eric Clapton stole George Harrison's wife from him <laughs> this was before that <laughs> okay. I okay. think they maintained their friendship through that though that's crazy Can good for them believe that good for them incredible um, and also so think about how many songs Patty Boyd inspired I know this song Layla another song that might be coming up on our list that's right uh, written by George but yeah by Abbey Road uh, George, John and Paul were Three, you have to say probably three of the best songwriters in the world at that mm-hmm. point. I mean, John and Paul had been for years, but George was really finding his stride. That's right. And uh, I think you can make a very strong argument that George wrote the two best songs on Abbey Road. Yeah, you, yeah, you could. You um, but uh, we don't want to say too much about that. That's right. Coming in at number 11. Now, here is a deep, deep cut. This is actually mm. a B-side that yep. shows up on Past Masters Volume 2. This is Rain, mm. Jake. This is one of the first examples of a song that's using... Uh, backwards, uh, what is that, a tape loop of the vocal? Yeah, it's, it's just... Backwards vocal? Yeah, backwards vocal, backwards recording. Um, and it's just a vocal uh, of John singing the, the verse, the when the rain comes part. 
and it's at the end, and you hear him singing it backwards. It sounds like it sounds like yeah. it's this backwards vocal, and it sounds crazy. And the story is they they were uh, John had kind of ham fisted some tape that he was putting in. And he hit play, and he had done it in the wrong way, and it played backwards. And he was like, "Whoa! Like we gotta, we have to use this." Yeah. And they all. This is my favorite thing about the Beatles, actually, is that they, as a band, they were never afraid to try new things. They always sought them out. I think that's what makes them obviously stand the test of time. Is that they were insanely famous from the jump, but they were always interested in pursuing new sounds and interesting things. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I totally agree. Now, this is one... Uh, what was the B-side? This was the B-side to Paperback Rider. That's right. So this is Revolver-era singles. That's right. Okay. Yeah, just for some context there. Uh, the so I remember when you, you showed me this song when we were in high school. You you lent me your copy of Past Masters, and you were like, check out Rain. Like This song is awesome, and I guarantee you've never heard it before. And ever since then, it's been one of my favorite Beatles songs. So many cool things about it. So like the backwards vocals are just one thing. A, a great sort of gritty, distorted John vocal performance. What about the drums? The drumming by Ringo, one of his best performances as a drummer. And... I, I think maybe the best thing about it is Paul's bass. Yeah. This, this is, is maybe the best example I can give of Paul's just bouncy melodic bass. Yeah, and this is when by 1966 he had you know cuz they were starting to really get interested in the studio and what they could do with that. Paul was always very interested in how he could make bass like a lead instrument, how he could make it pop and how he could make it serve the melody more. And um oh, there goes Shock Jock on his bike. Um, but uh, yeah, it, the ba- I agree. The bass on Rain is amazing, and there's that part where it just breaks and it's just bass and drums for a mm-hmm. minute. Um, yeah, Rain. If you haven't heard Rain, do yourself a favor and check it out. It might be a little inflated on our list. Yeah, that's possible because I think we both like this disproportionately compared yes. to how other people like Agreed. it. But I think if you like the Beatles, you'll love the song Rain, and you may not have heard it. Agreed. Now, speak. Okay, so we go from a song that is on probably no one's list this high to a song that is probably higher and is on everyone's list ever. Right. Number ten on our on our Beatles list is A Day in the Life. Day in the Life, the final track on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So wait a minute. How few songs have we had from Sgt. Pepper? This is our one and only from Sgt. Pepper that made it onto our top 50. That's actually crazy. Yes. We have eight from Revolver. We have another seven from Rubber Soul, or six. We have five from Abbey Road. We have another four or five from Let It Be. We have another about five or six from the White Album. One from Sgt. Pepper. Well, that's crazy. And a couple thoughts about that. One is that for some reason, and I think we talked about this on the Beatles pod, which we also did like months ago, where we talked about the band more generally. For some reason, Sgt. Pepper, as great as it is and as hyped as it is, never been one of my personal favorite albums by them. It is. It kind of sinks into the middle tier for me. I, I had a stretch, and this was back in high school, where I... Really, really loved Sgt. Pepper. It was a top three album for me by them, actually. As I've gotten older and as I've heard those songs more and more, again, it's it's like you where it's fallen and it is more middle tier. I like Help better than Sgt. Pepper. Um, you know, it's it shows up in our list that that's the case for us where it, it's more towards the middle where this is the only song on it. However... This is a crowning achievement. This is an amazing, amazing song. It is. And just one more quick Sgt. Pepper thought, and then I'll dive into A Day in the Life. And it's that I think it the fact that there are so few on here actually kind of speaks to Sgt. Pepper as an album experience. Mm-hmm. 
it's less of one where like there are a ton of individual songs right. I want to seek out. You know, one that would be high on a lot of people's lists is like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Right. It just doesn't I think rank. we both feel that's a little overrated. I think it's a little overrated. It just for some reason hasn't stood the test of time as well as some others from that era. You know what? You know what it is for me is people think that's an ode to LSD, and it's not. And it's not. Yeah, always bothered me. Some some dude came to our school in eighth grade and was talking about drugs, and he was like, "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds." Ever it's heard about, of it? It's about LSD. <laughs> <laughs> Ever heard of it? He was. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Those Beatles are trying to get you to do LSD. He says like that meant LSD. It's like, it's all over music, kids. <laughs> Dude, no, it didn't. But anyways, so Sgt. Pepper, great album, not represented on our list so much. I had some songs in my top 50, I think, but they were low. Mm. And maybe, I had like Lovely Read Up, yeah, low. I had Getting Better and Fixing a Hole yeah. somewhere. Anyways, A Day in the Life is obviously considered by many to be the Beatles' crowning achievement of any of their songs. Uh, because it was the absolute, it's considered at least, the absolute peak of their experimentation and going just the absolute distance to bring a really weird, far-out concept to life Mm -hmm. in the form of a song. Yeah, and I I like both. I like the fact that both John and Paul have parts to this song, something you didn't see as they went on a little bit further. Um, The wall of sound, piano chord at the end, you know, it just... The huge crescendo, as George Martin describes it, the great orgasm of sound. Yeah. Um, that There's so many things they tried for that, too, for that last piano chord. There's a video on YouTube you can find of George Martin talking about it, and he's like, there are some takes where, like, we tried everyone just singing the same note, and he shows it, and it's just a total dud. Yeah. If if it had been on the album, it would not have worked as well. He's like, so we decided to just all play the same chord on piano. I think it was an E chord. Everyone slam it at the same time. And the result's so crazy. Oh, the way awesome. they bridge the two components of the song, the Paul part and the John part, with the crescendoing um, string set, the whole orchestra, basically. Mm. And then uh, there's so much can be said about this song. The lyrics are really cool by John. And then Paul pops in with his little happy Paul yeah, song yep. in the middle. It's, it's awesome. It's probably higher on other people's lists like you said but like we said in the first part this isn't necessarily the best Beatles songs of all time it's what our favorites are so you're seeing that come out in the rankings here it was number one on the Rolling Stones uh, uh, magazine Rolling Stone magazine's top like whatever Beatles songs of all time Um, number nine on our list number nine number nine is not Revolution 9 it's Don't Let Me Down Don't Um, Let Me Down so here's another one that, yep, shows up on Past Masters, was just a single, uh, in that Let It Be, Get Back era. Um, this is another one that I think had the benefit of us seeing it performed on the rooftop. Yeah. Uh, this is more of that rock and roll, rock band sound and vibe of later day Beatles that you know we've really been attracted to lately. Late career Beatles, John doing... Um, John things late in the Beatles career focusing more on riffs more on guitar based sort of rock simple lyrics which would become a calling card on like Plastic Ono Band Mm -hmm. repetition Um, I've just always vocal performance yeah it's awesome the way both John and Paul share the don't let me down part Mm -hmm. is amazing I've always loved the way the guitars kind of meander under it and Mm -hmm. Billy Preston's organ on the organ's great that's another thing that we actually haven't even mentioned is his presence on let it be in general is the whole organ thing he had going on during that um yeah don't let me down again this might be inflated a little bit like you said it might not be as high on some people's lists but i just feel like for a late beatles song 
this is one that's so cool because it almost doesn't even sound like them. No, and again, we've talked about this a lot throughout our entire countdown is this is an example of what they could have turned into come the 70s. So don't let me down. Really good preview of what could have been. Really good preview. Number eight on our list, we've got... um, what you could argue is one of the, or the apex of the Beatles' psychedelic years. That's right. I am the walrus. I am the walrus, yes. This is um, a John song from yep. Magical Mystery Tour. Uh, this one, Jake, I, I didn't know this until you told me the other day, but this one was actually a song whose lyrics were influenced by John Lennon's LSD use. Yeah, and it should be no surprise given the lyrics in this song. And so the reason I brought it up and the reason that was a surprise is that I think people have this impression, or I always hear it, and it drives me fucking crazy when people are like, oh, the Beatles, they wrote every, like all their songs on LSD. They really didn't. There's only a few that they really wrote on LSD. And this is one where John actually did write some lyrics during an acid trip, and I think it shows through. It does. Yeah, there's kind of some crazy lyrics thrown thrown out. Um, Sitting on a cornflake. Yeah. All the, that shit. And, and so, like, also, this starts the era of people reading into Beatles lyrics and Beatle mythology mm-hmm. too much. Because there's, you know, throughout the song, there's just these weird sort of... I am the Eggman. Yeah, I am the walrus. And then on the White Album, on Glass Onion, he says, I've got a little clue for you all. The walrus was Paul. Mm-hmm. They would... The Beatles like to toy with their fan base and with writers who took their whole thing a little too seriously. John said in later years, he always liked I am the walrus because in the, in the mix, there's just little things to hear all over the place. Yeah. It's just like sort of... You know, there's that dialogue going on at the end. It's just an interesting sound. I also love the sound of his voice on here. But he also said it's it's like tongue-in-cheek. It's a joke. Sure, yeah. It's just like for fun. Yep, absolutely. Coming in at number seven is another Abbey Road cut. This is a John Lennon song, Come Together. Yeah, great song. I mean, I think this one would be on a lot of people's lists. Yeah, I This think is probably one of the most popular Beatles songs. It's one of the most played on Spotify. Like top three, maybe? Um, yeah, it is. It is top three. It's one of the most recognizable. This one gets a ton of play on the radio. Even still, classic rock radio, Come Together, gets played a lot. A bit of a... Uh, kind of that playing into that Beatles cliche of peace and love and togetherness. Lit- but I, I think a lot of you know, more serious fans know better about this song and it doesn't... Because I think you see the title, you're like, oh, Come Together. Yeah. It was sort of originally written as, and I forget who it was for, but it was written as like a campaign rally song by John Lennon for some... I'm going to say Timothy Leary, but I think I'm going to be wrong. Mm. It was some like druggy sort of 60s icon who Mm -hmm. was like running for president. Yeah. And I think John like wrote this as a toss-off for him. And it was an earlier iteration of what Come Together became. But I love this song because of just the groove on it. It's yes. so, like, just this swampy yep. groove. Paul's bass on it is incredible. It has this dark vibe. John's vocals on it are great. The lyrics are so, like, sort of mysterious and weird. Yeah, one of my favorite ones is uh, he's got early warning. Yeah, the whole, yeah. And it's like about, like, John Lennon had halitosis. Oh, and is that what it's I, about? I think that's uh, yeah, maybe a reference to that is what some have speculated. What's your favorite of the pre-chorus things? Um, hold you in his armchair, you can feel his disease. Got to be good looking because he's so hard to see. Or what's the third one? 
I don't remember off the top of my head. Of those two, though, it's got to be good looking because he's so hard to see. That's a great, yeah. yeah. Did I already say hold you in his armchair? You can feel his disease. Yeah. There's another one. It's a great, either way, cool lyrics in this song. Very, very cool. Overall, cool feel. Um, let us know what your favorite lyric is in it. Yeah. Tweet us at Listen in Pod. At Listen That's in integrated Pod. marketing for you, Sean. Viral, just, just viral a quick marketing. lesson. Yeah, guerrilla marketing just tactics. A quick, just a quick lesson. You don't uh, have to pay me for that one. I won't. Coming in at number six is the final song on Revolver, featured in a Mad Men episode. This is Tomorrow Never Knows, Jake. What a scene that was when, when Don Draper pops that on. I always had a question about that. So that's the last song on the album. Do you think that Don took the album, looked at the track list, picked one he thought was interesting, and then put it on that song? Or is it a bit of a sort of like, they kind of played fast and loose with the facts? They played fast and loose with the facts here. Because I think as big Beatles fans like we are, we're reading into that. We're like, oh, what what is this? No. However, though, I think it falls in with Don's character of looking at the back and looking and seeing a... A song with the word tomorrow in it. Never and knows. Never knows. It's very, very fitting for Don Draper to be always looking ahead at what's next, what's the next best thing. Yeah, what's the next that's thing? That's never going to fulfill him. Exactly. So, uh, Tomorrow Never Knows is really interesting because for all the things we've talked about on this list, a lot of what I've been talking about is like the chord progressions in a song, the melody in a song. Tomorrow Never Knows has one chord in the whole song. It's just a drone. It's a drone on, I think, C. And the whole thing is on one chord. Um, but the the cool thing about this song is that they drone through it. Ringo has that huge drum beat going mm. on during it, and there's all these tape loops that they had going on in the studio during the song. And the story is that because of the sort of primitive way they recorded it in 1966, you could never have recreated the exact way the loops happened to go uh, during the actual recording of this song again. It's not like today where you could just line them up in some in like a computer program mm-hmm. and have them come in whenever you want. They just had loops sort of looping at random. And so that high seagull sound, all the di- like the sort of weird piano sound mm-hmm. that's going on, all those things are going on sort of randomly in the mix. Yeah, this, it, this is one of my favorite things about the song is that this could never, ever be recreated. It's just kind of that one-take genius of it. Um, this is another one, though, that I think I at least didn't know about until I got into Revolver. And then I kind of learned about the backstory of it, which I think makes it an even better song. Yeah, and just, again, it's another example of just the quality of John's voice just doing it for me, dude. Yep. It's like the way he, just the, the the cutting nature of it, and the little bit of buzz that comes through. I think they used to record it with a little bit of distortion, too. Mm-hmm. He just The way he sings kills me. Coming in at number five... Opposite end of the spectrum. We're going Paul now. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're not only going Paul, we're going, like... Earlier vibe Beatles. And, uh, spoiler alert, we're going Paul for the last time on the list. Yes, we are. So Paul's highest song, he had a high concentration, I feel, in the middle of the list. The highest song on the list for him is number five, and it's We Can Work It Out. We Can Work It Out. That's right. Yeah, so this is actually my third favorite Beatles song of all time. Um, This song, so I love, it starts out very bright, very happy, and then it goes into that, is it a waltz? Yeah, well, it does, so... It goes into the life is very short, but there's no time part, which is like the John Ying to Yin to Paul's Yang. And then after when he says for fussing and fighting, yes. for, then it goes yes. into a waltz. Okay. It goes yep. into a three four thing, yep. uh, which is, yeah, really weird feel. But the thing about them is like they would do that stuff and it just felt so natural right. and like it had such pop appeal. So one of my favorite things about this is that 
there's those two very distinct parts to it, which I think for a two-minute pop song or a little over two minutes makes it very, very listenable over and over again. So this is one that I never seem to get sick of, and whenever it comes on, I'm like, hell yeah, we can work it out. Um, also, you know, I think the subject matter on this is one that people can kind of relate to. Like, yeah, we can work it out. Like, you know. Um, Song about being in a fight. That, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think the... I agree with you. It's, it's a Beatles song where if I ever hear it, I, I would never, like, skip it. It's always one I'm down to hear. Also... We talked about this a little bit, but it's another great example of a song where um, you get a little bit of both John and Paul on here. You get um, Paul being, oh, come on, see it my way. Right. Also a little one-sided in his lyrics. Ooh. He's just like, try to see it my way. He never really gives an inch on that, by the way. No. He, he's like, or we could see it your way, and then he just kind of shits on her way. Yeah, this is kind of a theme in some of those early lyrics, especially John's lyrics, of being yeah. like a little misogynistic, being like, yeah. uh, maybe like be a little more understanding, dude. Yeah, I think they had some growing to do emotionally. They were young men. Yeah. We'll give them that. And then, but you, so you get that sort of bright Paul melody, and then, yeah, you get the John bit in the uh, the bridge. The life is a very short part. And of course, he's going philosophical, where Paul's just like, oh, come on, try to get along. <laughs> um,. Anything else on We Can Work It Out? No, I think we can work it out into number four, Jake. A beautiful segue. So this is our final George song as well. This is one we alluded to earlier when we talked about Here Comes the Sun. This is his other offering off of Abbey Road, and this is something. This is one of the most beautiful Beatles songs and George songs in particular. I'll tell you one better. I think this is one of the most beautiful songs ever written. Yes, ever written. I really think it is. Yep. Um, To me... Uh, it sounds like I'm choking up, but I just had like something in my throat. It sounds like I'm, you know, to me, this song. Um, no, it really has it all. It's a, it's beautiful, um, and I think from a songwriting perspective, George killed it in every phase of the game on this one. He, the verses are great. The um, the bridge. The, is are amazing. you asking me if yeah. if, if, if my, my love, love will grow? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The, the guitar solo, yeah, is perfect. Yeah. It's like, it, 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 my favorite type of guitar solos are the ones that pick their notes right. Yes. They pick them well. They make them count. You can tell George wrote this one out. Yeah. He makes every single note count. It's so beautifully written. Yeah. And then it's always striking to me that something plays and you're like, wow, that was so beautiful. And then immediately after that, you go into Maxwell's Silver Hammer and you're like, oh, okay. Joan was quizzical, <laughs> studied Patrick And how arrogant of Paul to be like, Maxwell's Silver Hammer is going to be our, our big single from this. It's like, dude, no, you have come together, you have something, and then you have Here Comes the Sun yeah. on top of all the other sh- stuff on Abbey Road. Like, Maxwell Silverhammer is not 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 the not the crowning achievement of this album. How strong is Abbey Road though overall? It's, it's incredibly insanely strong, and I always kind of for, I always kind of forget until I go back and listen, and then I go through the medley in the back half. I'm like, wow, yeah, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> um, but yeah, something is. So we were talking about this earlier, and I did a bad job. My voice is cracking. This has been a very emotional. I have, it's been a podcasting. Tour de force. It's been a marathon. I think we've been at it for three hours now. This has been yeah. a lot of content. What I was going to say was, this is the other piece in the puzzle of George totally putting it together. And I think you could argue, now Come Together came in ahead of Here Comes the Sun, but I think you could make a very valid argument that the two individual non-medley songs mm. 
the two just best songs on the record, you could mm-hmm. argue are something in Here Comes the Sun. I Both George I, songs. I, I don't think many people could argue with that. I think that's that's a take where people are like, you know what? Yeah, that makes sense. He just on top of his game yep. at this point. It's something he was doing around that era, he was doing right. That's right. We'll jump into number three now. Number so we're in our top three, three. Our top three. And I will tell you this. Of our top three, only one of these songs is one anyone would expect. And, actually... This is really number two, Sean, because we have a tie for number That's one. That's right. That's so actually, right. run that back. This is number two. This is technically number two. Um, and this song is, you know, if there's been a theme throughout. It's been Revolver. And uh, our number two song is She Said, She Said. That's right. You know what I love about this is that it's neither of our favorite songs on Revolver, but yeah. it ends up ranking the highest. We both had this in our top five song, Beatles songs of all time. This actually used to be my favorite Beatles song. It's fallen. Wow, we both a, had this high. It's fallen a little bit for me. Andrew Bird can sing "Edges It Out." I know. Um, I'm only sleeping. "Edges It Out" for you, but I I think this makes a lot of sense as our favorite from Revolver and as number three, technically number two on our list. The riffs that that intro this song are so of that Revolver era with that gritty, really distorted guitar that you hadn't really seen too much of before from them. Uh, this song sounds like a revelation in that regard. Yeah, I've said it over and over, but uh, John Era Revolver, just give me all of that you yeah. got, dude. I like it, It's amazing. And the guitars on this song, the way they rip into this song with that little, that like high guitar distorted little uh, riff. And his, his lyrics on here are cool. The vocal performance is awesome. Um, it, it, it's just like a, a true rock song and like Ringo's drums are all over the mm-hmm. place it's like a really propulsive sort of early still I mean Revolver's still 66 I feel like this is you know when they really started to kind of push it in terms of like rocking a little hard I agree also the lyrics on this are really cool she said I know what it's like to be dead I know what it is to be sad do you know what that's from he it's a weird story He John Lennon was tripping Spoiler alert. Surprise, surprise. John Lennon was <laughs> uh, on an acid trip. You think? <laughs> and he was with Peter Fonda. Oh, and Peter, that's right. Peter yes. Fonda was high out of his gourd. <laughs> uh, you think? <laughs> and he said to John, I know what it's like to be dead. And so John was like, freaked the fuck out by that because he was on LSD. And so he probably thought he was about to be dead. And so he was scared of this lyric and he ended up writing a song about it. Originally he wrote, he said... And he was like, to give it a sort of a degree of separation, yep. changes to she said. Really, it, really cool. I forgot about that. Sort of a strange story. Yeah, um, yeah. And a lot of weird songs. When I was a boy, everything was right, that whole part. Yeah. Um, don't really know what to make of this song, lyrically. I don't Still either. like it. Awesome. Yeah, that's what I kind of, that's what I like about it, is how weird and out there a lot of those lyrics are. And that, this is where I think you can, I mean, you can see from our top ten I, I, I defended Paul earlier, but I'm going to take away a little bit mm. because you can see why people laud John as the lyricist of the band. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we just got done talking about Maxwell Silver Hammer, <laughs> which is a silly song. Yeah. And John yeah, writes these Paul took an L on that one. As effortlessly... A lot of podcasting lot of today. Talking. As effortlessly melodic as Paul was, that's how effortlessly John could string together words cool. in just interesting ways. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a tie for number one. How are we going to go about this? So both these are John songs. Um, yeah. Should we? So okay, here's what. 
Should we say them both right now, or should we say one then the other? Let's say one then the other. Let let's let's do what we have. Let's as, do the one people would expect. Yes, that yeah, the one people wouldn't say. expect. Yep. So the one that people would expect here, uh, Strawberry Fields Forever. Yeah, this one came in really high on both of our list. It was second on mine, third on Sean's. Yep. Um, and I, what else can you really say about Strawberry Fields at this point? It's just the epitome of trippy sort of experimental era Beatles. This is this is um, Sergeant Pepper era. This is like a single that came yes. out right as they were starting to do the sessions for Sergeant Pepper. So imagine how strong Sergeant Pepper would have been. Oh my god! If, See if they had Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane on it, which are the songs to come out of that era. It's the same question of what if they uh, what if the Beach Boys included Good Vibrations on Pet Sounds? Oh my god! Yeah. So the, those are two great rock what ifs, and I think. We're actually going to do an episode of best what ifs in terms of rock music. Steal a little from Bill Simmons. That's right. So yeah, big, big shout out to pod. big friend of the pod, Bill Simmons. Shout out to him. Give us jobs, Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> no, we didn't work for Grantland, so we can't have a oh, job. Right. People forget that yeah, yeah. you have to work at Grantland if you want to work at the. We didn't. We didn't. Right. That's right. Um, yeah, Strawberry Fields Forever. If that was on Sergeant Pepper, oh my god. I mean, imagine that, like, because it's written from the same, like, session, yeah. same era. So, I mean, everything about this song is cool. John wrote it when he was, like, filming that song, How sorry, filming that movie, How I Won the War. He was in Spain, right. and he wrote this song, and he came to the, the band with it and showed them. And they just got really experimental with it. They used that Mellotron to mm. record that, like, sort of synth-sounding thing to open the song. George Martin did his studio wizardry where he took... Two different takes of the song. He used to move mountains for these dudes. Dude, George Martin, because genius, he was he more was, valuable than Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, the fifth Beatle, because he would take in this song. There's a version where John was singing in a higher key and like faster, yeah. and there was another where it was in a different key and like slower. And they were like, "Can we just put them together?" And George is <laughs> like, like, "All oh. right, guys, okay, like I'll try." <laughs> so this song has two distinct parts where there are different takes where he, and that's what gives it sort of. There are parts where his voice sounds warped and weird. Yeah, because he's pitching it in yeah. all different ways to get it to actually sound right. That's amazing. I didn't know that either. We learn something new every day when you're talking Beatles with Jake. Just fun facts. Maybe that's a spinoff podcast, talking Beatles with Jake, and you just let people know these stories. Someone throws out a song name, and you're like, well, you know, <laughs> this is this is the story behind that one. And did you know this? And it's just Beatles. It's, it's yeah. like a fireside chat it's with called, Jake. It's called Did You Know This with Jake. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's uh, people mailbag in Beatles questions. <laughs> yeah. Also, one of my favorite parts of this song, really quick, the little guitar flourishes at the end. Yeah, like these little leads that I assume George is playing. Mm. Um, any other notes on Strawberry Fields? No, I think we can get into our other number one of all time, which is kind of the out there take that not only will people not expect, but a lot of more casual Beatles fans probably don't know this song. But but Beatles fans might not expect it, but I think they'll res- respect. I think I think yes. I think I think they will. Um, and this is your second favorite Beatles song of all time, and this is my fourth favorite Beatles song of all time. You go ahead and say it. It is "Happiness Is a Warm Gun," a John Lennon song from the White Album. So, from a story perspective, in terms of Beatles stories, there's a lot of reasons I like it. Um, this was an era where they were kind of disjointed. I mean, the White Album, they were fighting all the time. They didn't really get along. 
but they came together in the studio to figure out how to put these the three little parts that make up this song all mm-hmm. together. And in kind of classic John fashion, there are parts that are in really weird time signatures. He didn't do it on purpose. He just wrote music in kind of a weird way, and would some he had this knack for writing songs that would be in weird times. So the band had to sort of wrap their head around, particularly the Mother Superior jumps the gun part. Yeah, those little bits in the middle. They, it changes time a bunch of different ways, and so Paul and. Um, has talked about how years on he's like that might be my favorite song on the White Album he's like because we had to work together as a band to get it right and it sounds really good it does this is another instance of how heavy John's songs can get when that that just droney guitar comes in it just sounds like a dark storm cloud and it's amazing and it's a good um, kind of foreshadowing of your blues a little bit later and then what he starts to do with I Want You, She's So Heavy on Abbey Road and some of the other just rock stuff that they started to get into. That I love that part of it. The Mother Superior Jump the Gun part is, I think, my favorite bit of bit it. Of it yeah. um, interesting note is that in the movie Train Spotting, uh, Mark Renton and crew, their drug dealer, like the, the drug den house they would go to to buy heroin... Their drug dealer's nickname was Mother Superior. I wonder if it was a reference because a Mother Superior is also like the head nun, right? In like a in a yeah. whatever you call a house of nuns. An abbey. Is it an abbey? I th- yeah. So I think it's what you were referencing. But one of my favorite moments of any Beatles song ever is that guitar solo in this yeah. song. It's all low end, which you don't hear a lot on guitar solos. That that whole part that John plays. Um, little foreshadowing to what his guitar solo would be like on the end, that medley where that's, they all trade yeah, off solos. That's right. Every time he plays, it's this ugly, distorted, low-end solo. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, so there's, there's also the cool part about this is it's basically like three to four distinct little parts. You have the, she's not a girl who misses much, which is really trippy lyrics. Then you go into the, I need a fix because I'm yeah. going down, that part, which yep. is awesome. Then you have the Mother Superior jumps the gun part, or jump the gun. Then you go into the actual happiness is a warm gun part, which is like... Bang, bang, shoot, shoot. Kind of a, a nice release after all the darkness yeah. that was those first three parts. It's just one of the weirdest, most interesting Beatles songs they ever like put on record. Yes. I think that's why it has stood up for me all these years. Agreed. That, yeah, it, it stays fresh because of all those different parts to it. What do you make of... Happiness is a warm gun. The meaning behind that. So uh, the story behind it was John was like flipping through a magazine and there was an ad that said happiness is a warm gun in your hand. And he, <laughs> and it was like a legitimate ad from the 60s from some magazine. Yeah. And I think his quote is he's like, I just thought it was a be- like an incredible mad thing to say. Do you think the conservative right could uh, use this as a campaign song? <laughs> the Second Amendment defenders. They probably should, and I bet Trump would do it unironically. Yeah, yeah. He probably would. He'd be like, that, you know, John Lennon was yeah, on to one thing, at least. <laughs> um, you know, he was a, he got shot, but, uh, you know. <laughs> that sounded a little bit like shock jug. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, but also, it's I think the happiness is a warm gun and the, my finger on your trigger part, a lot of that is like dub, sexual double entendre. Yeah, that's what I was always thinking, too. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, just such an interesting song in every way, and I I always love um, the the way John's screaming over that sort of doo-wop chord progression mm. at the end. The way I hold yes. you, that whole part, yep. um, just 
you know, a guy with one of the best rock singer voices of all time just like letting it rip on a really cool song. Absolutely. We did it, man. That concludes our top 50 Beatles song countdown. That was a lot. It was a lot to get through. I need like a a stiff drink and a shower. I I know. It's a lot of Beatles. Uh, As a reminder, like I said at the top of the show, we have a full playlist of all of these songs that you can find on Spotify. If you just search for Listen In Podcast, you can find all of our playlists there. So give those playlists a follow. Give us a follow on Twitter, at Listen In Pod. Let us know what your favorite Beatles songs are. Let us know... Um, you know what some of your deeper cuts are. Maybe you're a fan of you know the Hey Jude's of the world that you that we left out of our top ten. Yeah, that we kind of shafted. Also, if you're interested in learning more about the Beatles, I would recommend the Beatles anthology series. Um, it's where I like learned everything I know about the Beatles, and it's like what it, it's just an amazing read and watch. There's a whole DVD series. There's a huge book. Mm. Um, there's a CD series where you can hear all these outtakes. So yep. if you are a huge Beatle nerd like me and you haven't already gotten into anthology, I would like there's there's so much out there and it's yep. worth exploring if you're interested. So I'm I'm to that point, I'm in the midst of watching it right now. Uh, it's great. I haven't even reached kind of the later studio years. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm still in like help era right now. I can't wait to get there. I'm learning a ton already. So There's a lot yeah, to learn. I would recommend it. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Recording. Okay. Okay. Um, and I think we just jump right in with this one. Yeah, we've we've gotten excessive with our our pre shows. We've reached late seventies Led Zeppelin status of excess. We've reached all time levels of bloat in yeah, terms of yeah. just like it, it's true. We're like a band that peaked in the like early seventies, and by the mid seventies, they're putting out triple quadruple albums. We need punk rock to come in and, and cut us at the knees and bring us down to two-minute bite-sized chunks. Make us feel two inches uh, tall. That's right. Make us feel real small. That's right. Let's jump in. That's a that's a nice little bite-sized pop-punk song right there. There you go. Let's that was jump it. in. That's all they want all right. out of it. That's right. That's all. Oh, but I had something want. else to bring up. No, I didn't. <laughs> I was I like, did. dude, really? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I have nothing. All right, ready? Let's go. Uh, three, two, one, go.